podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Get all the latest football headlines and bite-sized opinion in the brand new Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Join Mark Smith, Martin Gritton and a conveyor belt of guests as they dissect all the biggest stories in one small, perfectly formed package. Take five to ten minutes out of your day to stay up to date with everything that matters in football. Whether it's a big result from the night before, a new excuse from Jurgen Klopp, a shocker of a VAR decision or a new chapter in the ongoing Man United soap opera, we will cover it. All the latest news every weekday lunchtime on the Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Look for the Whistleblowers wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Sarah Messenger in the chair, standing in for Nigel Rothband. In a week when City finally signed a left-back, we battled back to snatch a plucky draw against the richest club in the league. Ellen White and Jill Scott, two City players or former City players, announced their retirement from football and Liverpool plummeted towards the relegation zone There's a lot to talk about. So I'm delighted to be joined by three men who would significantly improve the punditry on Sky Sports. So let me welcome Nick Goldstone. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Nick. Uh, And also welcome to Ian Lees. Hello, Ian. And finally, welcome to Paul Denby. Hello, Paul. Hi there. Great to be here, Sarah. Great. Great to have you with me. Um, Well, let's start with the Newcastle game. A plucky draw, I described it as in the intro. Um, Nick, kick us off with your thoughts on the performance on Saturday. Or Sunday, even, should I say. Sunday. It was was a sensational game. I mean, it it, it sort of... It was was a game that you don't normally see in the middle of August, to be honest. It felt like a, a sort of April or May sort of a game. It was magnificent. I thought there was a little bit of misjudgment perhaps by Pep in the way that he set, he set the team out. There was a little bit of maybe underestimating Newcastle, um, but we caught them on one of their very good days, of which there are less uh, than there are of our good days. Um, uh, but, you know, I came, I came away after watching the game just having really enjoyed it. I, you know, we, we we got a point. We, we we probably could have we could have won it. We should have won it, really. Um, but it was just such a great game. It was great fun. It was a great game, and I think that's a really interesting point about it not being the kind of game you see in sort of this early in the season. Whether it'll appear in sort of Premier League great uh, features of the future, we'll, we'll we'll wait and see. But Paul, what I mean, we we, we normally take maximum points against an Eddie Howe team. So, what was different this time from your perspective? I think that their style of play, they came at us. Uh, we had the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. After that, they really did put us back, uh, pushed us back quite a bit for the rest of the first half and early in the second half. Although we still had created chances. Um, Foden could have pulled it back to Haaland yet again. Um, De Bruyne had that chance where he hit it and the keeper got his legs to it. So we did have chances. And then they just slowly got into the game what um, Nick said a few months ago, it was a brilliant game of football. The neutrals would have absolutely adored it. And what it put to bed was this ridiculous statement that some journalists come up with from time to time, that City are boring to watch. They say City are boring to watch because our opposition sit back all the time and City's got to find a way through them. And we pass the ball across the field to tire them out and just mentally exhaust them as well as physically exhaust them. When a team like Newcastle, or others have done it in the past as well, really have a go at us, they can make a game of it. And that was a magnificent advert for Premier League football. 
I was very happy with the draw at the end. Or as Nick said, we could have won it. We possibly should have won it towards the end. But I was very happy with a point there, especially what is happening to the two teams in red. Indeed, to whom we might turn in a, in a little while. How do you see it, Ian? Do you, do you think it's a point gained or two points lost? I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Nick Pope being man of the match. Uh, great start to the season already without a loss. Uh, if you're bearing in mind, we, we the opening game last season, we lost. Uh, for me, the next game's the important one because we've always lost at home to Crystal Palace in a bogey team. So, yeah, great start, to be honest with you. Good. And, and, and Paul, do you think we've made a decent start, relatively speaking, or are you disappointed that we dropped two points against a team we usually take three from? Newcastle are not the team they used to be anymore. They've had some good investment. They're Eddie Howe, I always respected as a manager. I think Newcastle will be challenging for top eight this season. They might even make one of the Europa or Conference League places, depending on how other teams perform this season. So it's not the Newcastle of old um, uh, that we've uh, beaten comfortably with last few occasions. Um, so overall, I was, I'm happy with seven points out of nine. Um, of course, nine would have been better. But we have a five-point lead over uh, the team from Liverpool. We have a significant lead over other teams. Uh, some of our rivals that will be competing for the league at the end of the season have dropping points. But what happened to Chelsea at the weekend as well. Arsenal got off to a flying start. And well done to them. But I, I can't see it lasting the whole season. I could be proved wrong. But so, so I think that compared to our main rivals that we would expect for the league, we've got off to a great start comparatively. Uh, and are you worried by Arsenal, Nick? Uh, at this stage, no, because they're flaky. Um, I think they've bought some great players. Um, uh, Zinchenko is an absolute star, uh, underrated, um, legend at City. Love him to bits. Hope he does fantastically well. Gabriel Jesus. I always expected him to do really well uh, when he left our uh, our club. Um, but the, uh, the real difference at Arsenal is, is Arteta, clearly, uh, and he's doing fantastically well. Um, I've got a lot. I've got a lot of friends who support Arsenal. I've been absolutely taking the Mickey out of them for at least the past ten or eleven years. Um, there's a great photo from. 2012 of um, Sami Nasri um, at the end of the of the of the title winning game against QPR with a great hat on his head and holding the trophy and everything. Uh, we had a few Arsenal players in that squad at the time. Uh, it would be it, it, it would be wonderfully ironic to see Arsenal challenging with some great uh, players they bought from from us this year. I can't really see them lasting. But I kind of hope they do in a funny sort of way. I, I, I don't have a lot of time for, for most of the Arsenal supporters. I don't think they've got a lot of time for City. And I think they've been very arrogant over the years. Um, but uh, frankly, you know, it's the City influence and it's Arteta who's going who's gonna to turn that club around. And actually, um, there's every chance that uh, he's going to be in the frame to be our next manager. Mm, well, quite possibly, if it's not Vincent, you mean, um, yeah. who yeah. started pretty well at Burnley, I think. Um, I, just on that point around watching Zinchenko and Jesus, it's, it's 
it's making me think that what, it's so strange to see City players playing in the Premier League, that players that are still, you know, in their prime or have plenty to give. It's it's a bit like going out clubbing and seeing your ex with their new partner and it all just feels a bit awkward and a bit wrong. But anyway, um, I'm sure we'll get used to it. I didn't feel the same when I saw Sterling, though, funnily enough, but there might be reasons for that. Um, just, just to go back to the Newcastle game for a minute, a point you made, Paul, around... You know, Foden should he have squared the ball to Haaland the chance quite early on in the game, um, and, and the same thing happened the previous week. Um, you know, some people are making a big deal of this on Twitter. Yeah, too much in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Do you think that there's anything in that, or do you think that's just them learning to play together and that Foden will be laying them on a plate for Haaland very tight? No, t- you know, any any second now. I think he's got to lay it on a plate for him any time now because if he tries it for a third time and misses, he'll uh, have Pep to answer to, if he didn't on, on Sunday as well, and he'll probably be dropped from the team. I think the one on Sunday was a little bit more difficult to pass back to Haaland than the one a week before against Bournemouth, but you've got to, it's a team game. Uh, yes, I get strikers are always going to try to score goals when they think they've got the opportunity, but if you've got a teammate who's in a better position, you've got to pass it to them. It's pretty simple stuff, really. Uh, so I'd be very surprised if that happens to Foden again because I think he's learned his lesson. I hope he has anyway. And, and in Ian, just on Haaland, how did you think he played on Sunday? Um, it, it, I think we'll see the best of him on away games and home games because I think uh, uh, when we're away, the, team, uh, the home team normally press, giving that space between uh, the back four and the goalkeeper, which we saw a couple of times again on Sunday. I think home is a little bit more difficult because a, a lot of teams will play with 11 men behind the ball. So it's finding ways that we can use him. But going back to to Phil Foden, I think he, he tried that a couple of times uh, uh, at the West Ham game and Haaland wasn't there. So I think it's just a case of settling down, settling in, uh, and it, it should be training ground stuff and getting used to him. I think he's fitting in quite nicely. And I, I think uh, over the course of the season, I think we'll 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 see them in bag a few goals. Excellent. Well, that's what we all hope for, absolutely. And, and one of the things that uh, we all will have noticed at the game on Sunday is that um, we had a new player on the bench, and shock horror, it's it's a left back. Uh, we signed Sergio Gomez from Anderlecht, although I noticed that he's only been a left back for a year. But let's that's a minor detail. Let's not worry about that. Uh, he's personally endorsed by Von Vincent Company, so um, I, I'm sure he's going to be great for us. But I, I don't know, has anybody seen him play? Have you seen clips? Anyone excited by the signing of a new Sergio? Yes, Sarah, can I just remind you that uh, Zinchenko wasn't a left-back when he started his career either. So uh, he's one of them versatile players. If you look at some of the games, he plays very much in the, in the mould of Zinchenko, where he can play inside and down the wing as well. So, uh, and of course, another City fan joining the to, uh, the mist as well. So, uh, it'll be it'll be exciting, I think. You're you're absolutely right that he's uh, Zinchenko wasn't a left back. Uh, the only point I make, Ian, is there's quite a few City fans who still didn't think Zinchenko was a left back, even after he played there for a while. But um, we'll we'll see how Sergio does. Nick, Paul, any thoughts about Sergio Gomez? Uh, not from me. Uh... I've never seen him play. Uh, I hope he does well. I think he's going to be—he's going to spend most of this year on the bench. I suspect. Uh, you know, I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's a good bit of business uh, from a financial perspective 
um, given what what we bought him for and what what we sold Zinchenko for. He's got a difficult path into a into a settled spot in the first team, and I suspect and I hope that he's not got great expectations about how much he's going to play in the first team for the next year at least, because I think his options his opportunities are going to be fairly limited. Cancelo isn't really a left back either, but he's a hell of a left back and he's a hell of a player. Um, and um, it's uh, uh, so I think I think Gomez's opportunities are going to be fairly few and far between for the time being. Yeah, I suspect that's true. And of course, Pep doesn't like fullbacks who play in the conventional way that fullbacks play. So he kind of wants players who are in effect midfielders who can play in that position. So. Um, Paul, yeah. have, you, have you seen anything of Sergio Gomez? I must admit I haven't seen him. Um, I've heard about him. I've read about him. Um, a traditional left-back he might not be, but his position uh, is going to be left-back when he comes into the team. I think he will get a few games because we our games start coming thick and fast in September with the Champions League kicks off. Then, of course, you've got the Carabao Cup will kick off as well in the third round. So we will have quite a lot of games between now and the break. Uh, I agree, he won't get that many, but he will play a few games. And maybe he'll have to play those games where we need to be more defensively minded. Um, Ake can play there, Laporte can play there as well when uh, as necessary. But equally, if you get an injury there, and we've got currently Laporte's out, Ake took a knock or something happened to him on the game on Sunday. Um, and so if anything happened to Cancelo or Walker at the moment, you, you're down to needing to play him. And injuries did play a part for us at the end of last season after the Atletico Madrid uh, kickabout, their kickabout, not our kickabout. Um, therefore, yeah, I think he'll get a few games, but probably he'll be restricted. Well, we'll see. Hopefully we'll see something of him reasonably soon. And of course, as soon as the game finished in Newcastle, um, City got on a plane and flew to Barcelona for a friendly game that they're involved in tomorrow night against Barcelona. Um, before we just touch on that, some good news, I think, yesterday evening. I think Ferran was filmed um, and responded to a question about whether Bernardo was staying and said, of course he is, which I was delighted about. I suspect most City fans were delighted about. Um, was any, you know, Ian, were you worried that Bernardo might go this summer? Uh, yes, it, there's, there's always been questions about his settled uh, as he settled in Manchester, and now he's engaged to his uh, his girlfriend. She's not particularly keen on Manchester, so yeah, there's always been a doubt there. But again, he's contracted to Manchester City unless uh, a team um, comes up with the goods, then. I can't see. And, and Pep's always had the view is if you're not happy at City, you go. Uh, and I, I think he's proved that time and time again. So, no, happy way things. I think he's going to be here for, the, for this season, of course. Uh, and we'll just see what happens at the uh, summer next season. Yeah, sure. And I mean, Nick, I think, you know, nobody's irreplaceable, but it's pretty tough to think of where City would get a midfielder who contributes what Bernardo Silva does to the team. So... It, how it, you know? It's presumably, you think it's essential we hold on to him for as long as possible, subject to him being happy. And apart from anything else, he just seems to be such a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's really committed. He's unbelievably talented. I mean, we should just talk a bit more about the Newcastle game. You know, he he just he it, the first goal, the assist 
I mean, he literally just had them running around in circles, half of the half of the Newcastle team, before he put it on a plate for for Gundogan. Um, he had a little bit of a quiet patch in the middle of the game, but you know, but the you know the 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 goal he then went and scored was just, I mean, it was just sensational. It was genius. It was so simple, but the the movement of you know him, KDB and um, Harland between them, you know, you can see, and Harland's only been there for a few weeks, but that looks like something they've been practicing a hundred times a day for the past two or three years. It was just, it was balletic. He 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 had so much to the team, and he he's he seems to have so much energy consistency and he just seems like the sort of character who's just great to be in the dressing room as well so he would be a desperate loss for for City I I hope that although he or and or his girlfriend want to go somewhere else I hope that they take a bit of a long-term view you're only a footballer for a very short period of time Um, do what's right for your career and then get on with the rest of your life you've got a long time retired um i think the next two three years if we can keep him at the club it would be enormously positive i mean he's already a legend uh but you know would would really really love to to make sure that he's still around for another two three years here here i think we'll 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 all agree with that i'm sure just quickly on this game tomorrow I know it's a charity game that City have committed to are you kind of in the well it's all part of the early season conditioning and it's good to get you know minutes in the in the legs or is it an inconvenient distraction inconvenient distraction yeah we've got to play it because we make commitments to play it I don't think it's necessarily going to get anything more in the legs if they wanted to do that they could have had another pre-season match as opposed to just the two they had um, plus the Charity Shield, Community Shield as well. I, I think it's a bit... I don't understand why they're going out midweek to Spain. They went out on Monday. I think they're coming back on Thursday. Then they got one of the toughest games of the season historically, Palace at home. Well, we know exactly what they'll do. So I, I just think it's... And I know we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So I'm just surprised, and I hope... Uh, I'll be surprised if it isn't, that he changes the team at half time and they are the, the first team, the first 11, whatever, only gets 45 minutes or so because you can't afford to play them 90 minutes. It's distraction of being out in Spain unnecessarily. Yeah, I, I think Nick and Ian are, are indicating they, they agree with you, but um, go on, Nick. Well, well yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think, first of all, I think City player seem on the face of it, to play a fairly um, intelligent game when it comes to relationships with the likes of Barcelona, and Barcelona in particular. They've been doing it for a long, long time, obviously, because they've got very close links um, through a lot of the backroom staff, um, which is good. Um, with the various headwinds that um, are out there uh, politically in the world game, I think it's good to make sure that you've got the likes of Barcelona kind of on your side as much as you can have. Uh, I think it's a relatively, as far as I understand it, it's a it's a relatively sort of prestigious charity thing that they do every year that they that you get invited to every so often. Um, so it's a bit difficult to turn it down. I don't think at this point in the season it's 
is that much of a big deal. Um, I think it's difficult to justify talking about how how much it's going to take out of players, given that, again, I mean, did we make any substitutions uh, on Sunday? No, we made none. We could have done five, but we played the same 11 for 90 minutes in relatively warm conditions early in the season. Are we too bothered about how much um, hard work these players have got to do at this point in time? No, and probably we're going to be playing a very, very changed team on Wednesday night. So actually, I don't think it's that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I, I, sorry, Sarah. I was just thinking, you, you think on, on a Wednesday, anyhow, you'll be doing some training on the ground, anyhow. I just think it gives an opportunity for the likes of Gomez, uh, Alvarez, uh, Cole Palmer, or whoever the, the fringe players is, just to get together and, and play a game uh, which they can get used to each other because we'll be using uh, the squad over the... Um, 50 games that we'll be playing on season. And bearing in mind then we've got the World Cup in the middle of all that, um, I think it's just an ideal opportunity just to uh, give the players a, a little bit of time where the likes of Foden and Haaland can, can get uh, to know each other even more. Yeah, and I, I, I was just going to add, I think it was 20-odd years ago, The first one of the first games that the Etihad was was a friendly against Barcelona, if I remember correctly. Absolutely right. When... Um, you know, when they, they, they did us the honour of coming over and um giving us the chance to play against uh, one of one of the big one of the big teams and uh, you know twenty years later it's exactly the reverse. I think they're gonna be very pleased with the opportunity to get the chance to play against one of the really big teams in Europe this season, which they may otherwise not get. Who would have thought, eh, twenty years later that the mighty Manchester City would be going to do going to play Barcelona as the better team? How, how what a wonderful twenty years we've had. Um, Paul, you've just reminded me that of course we've got the Champions League draw on Thursday. Um, I'm sure next week on the podcast our, our colleagues will have a chat about um, the group we've got. But any any thoughts you want to share on who we do and don't want in the Champions League? It's always difficult, and being in pot one nowadays isn't necessarily the, the advantage that it used to be, because you've got a lot of teams in pot two that um, are quite decent teams on paper. I mean, you've got your Barcelona's, your Atletico Madrid's, I think, are in there as well. And because there are three English teams in pot two, you're restricted to one of five teams to play. So inevitably, there's a fair chance you end up with one decent team. And then in pot three, I'm, I'm not checking these pots, but I think you've got the likes of, of the Milan, one of the Milan teams, uh, and you've got quite a few others. Juventus might be there or they're in pot two. So you could end up with quite a challenging group. Not that City should fear any challenging group because we should be good enough to finish top of the group, but it will make it interesting. There always is the so-called group of death where you get three very good teams and perhaps a fourth team as well that is can challenge. So it's, it's always interesting to me when the draw is made to see who, who gets who and how the fixtures lay out in the future. Um, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great occasion. I don't, I don't necessarily mean the ceremony itself where they spend the first 15, 20, 30 minutes yattering on about who the hell knows. It's about who was the greatest footballer in 1936. Uh, but effectively, I, I do like it when it gets to the actual draw. It's a, a sort of momentum builds up and you think, oh, who's going to, who are we going to get? Etc. So yeah, I enjoy the draw itself. We've not had a group of death for a couple of years, but we've certainly had them in the past, haven't we? Some very difficult group games. So um, I mean, I think you're right, Paul. We ought to be winning a group, whoever's in it. But 
Um, is it is it better, Ian, if we end up with a group of, you know, the easiest draw we could possibly get? Is that better, or are you sometimes does it help if you've got some real competition early on in that competition? Sarah, it doesn't really matter who, who what card you get dealt with. They're the cards you play. Uh, it won't affect any of the players. It won't affect any. Uh, it won't affect Pep. He will just plan and organise for that for them teams. And like like Paul said, you've got to beat them anyhow at some point at the competition. So why not now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's just turn finally to the the Palace game. But before we do, can I can I just go back to something we touched on earlier? And I just want to get a very quick view from you all. We have a five point lead over Liverpool, who I think we still consider to be our main rivals for the title. Not necessarily the only ones, but the main ones. Is that significant at this stage of the season, Nick? Um, yes, um, I think it's good. It's helpful. It's, it's pleasurable. It makes life quite, quite slightly more positive for the time being. Uh, I think it's too early to tell how things are going to pan out overall. Uh, but um, you know, we were pretty much imperious in our first two games. Uh, and we were imperious for the first ten or eleven minutes against Newcastle, and then um, had a bit of a of a dodgy patch uh, for various reasons. Um, I think Liverpool have got when you see Liverpool starting with James Milner, uh, I think you can I think you can point to the fact that they've got issues. Whether those are temporary or permanent, I don't know. Um, I think James Milner is a fantastic player, but he's just a little bit too far gone as far as age is concerned. Um, and, you know, he wouldn't be a, 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 a first choice in Liverpool's midfield in the past three or four years. So when he's, when he's, when he's turning up at Old Trafford uh, in, in the first 11, you know that they've got problems. Um, so uh, I think it's, you know, there are signs that there are weaknesses there in, in the Liverpool squad. But, you know, having said that, we lost to them in the in the Charity Shield a couple of weeks ago and everyone was, you know, screaming blue murder about it. So these things will change very quickly. Yeah. Paul, what do you think? Any significance? Quick thoughts? I'd rather be plus five against them than minus five. So, and um, Twitter is a gog and a wash with uh, Liverpool fans saying it's a year of transition already. They do. They have, their midfield does look particularly weak at the moment. They've got some good strikers. We know that for, for their forward line. Their defence on paper is decent, but they haven't got the creativity that we've got. They just lack it completely at the moment. Um, I know they've got injuries. Um, I always thought Liverpool would be our main rivals this season. I'm not saying they won't be, um, but it's interesting to see what happens with uh, Tottenham and Arsenal this season as well. Whether they can roll on from where they were last season. They both got off to reasonable starts. Tottenham very lucky to get a draw at. Uh, Chelsea last week, but then they, they won their other game, so they're up there as well. I think it could be an interesting season, uh, but it's very, very early to draw any conclusions. Three games in is absolutely nothing, really. Yeah. Tough question, really, wasn't it, Paul? But Ian, indulge me. Is, it, is, is, it, is it significant, <laughs> this five-point lead at this stage, or is it all nonsense? Uh, I, I think we're looking at this at the, the wrong way round, to be honest with you. Uh, to win the Premier League, you can only maximum lose four Draw six. So again, I think uh, we're very lucky with 
Liverpool losing one, so they've only got three more chances on that score uh, because every time we've beaten them into uh, first place and then into second, they've uh, amounted more drawn games than, than ourselves, so they've dropped points in that area. But uh, I think we've got to look at the table in general and look at Arsenal, three from three, um, they're the ones they they've got four lost games got so so um, they're not the team that they used to be Liverpool. Um, I don't think United are going to uh, be anywhere near that. But again, we've just got to concentrate on ourselves. Saturday's a big game for us because we've always, for some reason, Crystal Palace have been a bogey side at home for us. Uh, if we get three points there, I'll be more than happy. The start of the season's good because we always generally have a good mid-season. Anyhow, my only worry is, is the World Cup break. So you, you've taken us beautifully into Crystal Palace. You, you've mentioned the fact that they're a bogey team and we need three points. Um, Paul, how do you see the game against Palace? Well, I'll hope that... Uh, it's not for me to teach Pep how to manage because he's a million, million times better than I am. But I hope he learned something from the Newcastle game where Sam Maxima just ran circles around Walker, to be honest. He had a brilliant game. He has won every 10 games, apparently, and I've seen him play, and he can be very good. Zaha can do the same. Zaha's fast-paced. They've got a fast attack. They did it last season. Uh, as Ian said a few moments ago, we've not got a great home record against them. I think we lost two of the last few, and we drew two all with them a couple of seasons ago as well with a last-minute home goal equaliser. So they've got a good record at the Etihad. Uh, it shouldn't really matter that they've got a good record. We should just play the match as it is, but learn from what's happened in the past. And that means Walker not being asked to venture into midfield and, and staying in his right-back position because that's what he'll need to do if Zaha's attacking down that side. And the same with Cancelo as well. So effectively, we've got to play the game that suits ourselves, but be mindful of what Palace can do against us. And how do you see it, Nick? Yeah, um, I think Paul's absolutely right. Uh, Alassane Maxima had what, what I've seen described over the past couple of days as his transfer window performance the other day. Um, he was exceptional. Um, he took John Stones apart, who who looked pretty ring rusty. Um, Carl Walker, I think... You know, any time he is given the license to go and try and be a midfielder, it generally turns into a disaster. Um, and when you do that, when you're playing against a Newcastle team with their best player at, at, on the left wing, that that's just you know asking for trouble times a times a thousand. Carl Walker is a great defender. Um, it, it, he he absolutely has to be our, a great right back when we play Crystal Palace at the weekend. Um, uh, they've been a bit of a bogey team Palace um, you know Conor Gallagher's not there anymore uh, they're, they're possibly don't, they possibly don't, don't quite have the edge that they had but, but Zaha is exactly the kind of player that does that basically turns us over you know he will have one of his best performances of the season he'll have four or five touches and he will score a goal he'll get, he'll get a penalty or he'll do something uh, and that's what we always end up sort of uh, losing out on. Um, but, you know, one thing's for certain, one thing's for certain, it won't be as hot as it was last week for the Bournemouth game. No. Score prediction, Nick? Oh, uh, 2-0 City. 
possibly three. Ian? Yeah, I'll, I'll go along with a win because Conor, Conor Gallagher uh, was, is not there now. He was quite instrumental last year. Um, so I, I would go 3-0. Three three I, I like this optimism. Paul, keep it going. Score prediction? 2-1, City. Or slightly more measured there, Paul. Yeah, I, I could, could even call it a draw, but I, I never... Well, after we, uh, since we only got one point off from last season, I think we'll, we'll be happy with any win scraped in the 89th minute if necessary because it'll improve our points tally over them from last season. Um, I'm going to bring the, bring the show to a close there. Before I do, though, um, there were two very important birthdays in the uh, last weekend, and City, unfortunately, didn't manage to deliver the three points that they should have done in order for the two... Uh, birthday boys to enjoy their weekend but it's uh, I think we ought to pay tribute bearing in mind that city twitter has been taken over by the under 30s um it's always nice to see city fans uh, slightly older in years still watching the team still when they can either going to the game or sitting and watching it on the telly um and they both have birthdays at the week with weekend so on sunday uh, the amazing Jeffrey Rockband, who happens to be Nigel's dad, but he's amazing in his own right, I hasten to add, was 102 and still sharp as a tack and a massive City fan. Um, so a belated happy birthday to Jeffrey. And since we're doing Jeffrey, I couldn't not mention the fact that my dad, the equally amazing Gerald Messenger, was 86 on Saturday. So for two of the older blues, a belated happy birthday. And thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you to Paul to Nick and to Ian and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week great thanks Sarah thank you Sarah thank you if you want to advertise on or sponsor this show check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network